Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. You guys were going on and on a little bit earlier about uh, moments that you were gullible, and I was like, "All right, so this is the crew that we should uh, we should probably play some poker together sometime." Um, I don't know if I can make that reference in youth, but uh, it's probably okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it is. It's like you know, there's like you're kind of talking about these gullible moments, and there's always that one friend, and I know you're out there who's just like never fell for anything. Super cool, and you're like, "All right, guy, like sure." One time uh, when my wife and I, we've been married for nearly seven years at this point, when we were newly married, no kids, nothing to do on the weekend, you know, we had nothing taking up our time, um, I found myself scrolling social media, and I saw this, uh, this ad, um, which that's just like bad news, just scroll past that stuff, you know, don't stop for the ad, but it said the best burger in the country is here in Portland, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's here. And so I'm like scrolling, you know, it's all these like pictures of food and stuff. I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And it goes to this place and it's saying that there's a place in uh, Northeast Portland called Stanich's. And it's like this, our experts have traveled the country. This is the best burger in the country. I'm like, I believe it. I'm fully convinced. Thank you, internet. It's there. It must be true. And then I completely forgot about it um, until a couple of weeks later, my wife and I were driving through, uh, driving through Northeast Portland and all of a sudden... We come to just like, we're just merging on, like, you know, just turning onto a different street and right there in front of us is Stanich's and it's like 11.55 and I was like, Allison, you know what we got to do? I was like, that's the best burger in the country. We got to try it. I'm fully convinced of this. This is the place. We had to try it out. And so we go in, we proceed to have the soggiest burger in general, um, but the the patty itself was exceptionally dry. It was very impressive how they did it. It was not the best burger in the world. And I was fully convinced there for a minute, but ultimately, before I could really genuinely be fully convinced, I needed to try it for myself. And that's so true about everything. Anytime somebody's trying to fully convince you of anything, you're probably gonna wanna try it out for yourself. Somebody pulls up a chair and your buddy's like, come sit right here, it'll hold you up. Come sit right there. You're like, oh, okay. Let's make sure all the screws are in. Let's make sure it's structurally sound. You know, let's make other friends sit on it first, and then I will try it, and I will be fully convinced or not. Or a friend comes up to you and says, hey, this is the best song ever recorded. What do you do? To be fully convinced, you got to give it a listen yourself. The reality is, is that we often just need to experience something for ourselves in order to be fully convinced. But that starts to break down at some point because there are things in life, there are truths that we are told, there are things that people are trying to convince us of um, that are not nearly as, as tangible as maybe a burger or a song or a chair that we could sit in, something like that. And so what do we do? What do we do and how can we be fully convinced um, when it's something just a little bit harder to nail down, when it's something we can't see or hear or smell or taste or even touch. You have a friend say to you, hey, no matter what, I've got your back. You might want to believe it. 
You might really hope to believe it, but there's, there's something there that you need to be fully convinced. Or somebody's trying to remind you, maybe you're in a really tricky season or a really frustrating season or school's just kind of on top of you and you're just really stressed out and someone's like, hey, everything is gonna be fine. And you're like, no, because you don't know how dumb I am. You don't know how little I have paid attention in biology. What is biology? I don't know. Is it about rocks? Maybe, you know. You're gonna have to wait and see what happens there. It's gonna take a lot more to be fully convinced. And now let's take a step back though. As we're diving into God's word, as we consider God's promises to us, how can we be fully convinced of God's promises to us? How can we even be convinced that there is a God? And if there is a God, how can we be fully convinced that he is worthy of each of us surrendering our lives, submitting to him, worshiping him, honoring him? Scripture says that this is where faith comes in. Faith. There's a lot of ideas about what faith is. Faith is one of those, you know, really, uh, we, we use the term Christianese. You know, it's like, a, it's just a term that's just thrown out a lot. But here's what scripture says faith is. Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The reality is that faith is something absolutely essential for us to be fully convinced of these truths that we see declared in God's word. These truths that are there, these truths that we hear on Wednesday nights, these truths that our leaders are telling us, we need to have faith because ultimately some of this stuff we just can't experience. We can't audibly hear God's voice. We can't see him. We can't touch him and know that he is real. And so there's, there's, a, there's something there that we gotta get through. And our passage is gonna speak to that. Our passage is going to speak to what role faith plays in this whole thing. And so a little bit of context. Um, so we've been going through Romans, the series Made Righteous, this idea of how in the world does God take sinners, all of us who have fallen short of his perfect standard, and how in the world does he make us righteous? And how does he do that in a way that's actually just? How does he do that without just, you know, sweeping our sin under the rug or something like that? A little context for our passage. Early in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we're introduced to a man named Abram, whose name is later changed to Abraham. Um, God changes his name, and this, this wild thing happens where because of nothing that Abraham did, nothing that he had to offer, nothing that he had said, he wasn't a part of any cool club, God made the decision, and he chose Abraham, and he chose to make a covenant with him. He chose to form this, this special bond, this special relationship based off of a promise. And even more wild, Abraham believed this promise. God promised to him a people. He promised him that he would have countless and countless children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He promised him a place, a place where his people were going to dwell, where they are going to have security. And he promised him prosperity with God himself. So he promised this was a sweet deal. But as we're going to see a little bit once we get into this passage, um, some of these promises were pretty big promises. 
And if you're like me, you read these promises that God made and you're not quite sure if he's actually gonna be able to fulfill them. But Abraham believed. And it says in Genesis, it says that Abraham's belief, his faith was counted to him as righteousness because he believed God, that was counted to him as righteousness. So let's dive into our passage. We're gonna read just these first couple of verses, verses 13 through 17. This is God's word. It says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. The first thing we see in our passage is that like Abraham, you are not saved by your works. Like Abraham, you are not saved by your works. This part of, of Romans is a part of this much bigger section and really a theme that runs through all of the letters in the New Testament where um, the apostle Paul and later there were other apostles that wrote about this as well, but they, they are, he's tearing down this division that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so back at this point, from the perspective of, of God's people of Israel, there were two kinds of people in the world. There were Jews and there was everyone else. And God had chosen, had specially chosen to, to reveal himself, to show himself to the Jews, to the Israelites. And then, having, in a sense, seen God, they were then supposed to reveal God to the rest of the world through their holiness and their morality, through their good works, through their care for the poor, through their worship of God. They were supposed to show God off to the people around them. And God gave his people the law. He gave them the law, which was literally God spelling out for his people what they needed to do to stay in relationship with him. You have a perfect, completely holy God and you have sinful people. And so God spells out for them, this is what you need to do if you're gonna be my people and if I'm gonna be your God. So the Israelites had a problem though. The Israelites were the, these are the biological descendants of Abraham. Each and every one of them could tie their family lineage, however many generations, all the way back to Abraham himself. But they had a problem because they were sick and broken with sin. And so we see all throughout the Old Testament, this is the theme that crops up again and again and again. God's people, even though they had the law, could never keep the law. They could never actually do what the law said. The standard that had been set, they could never measure up to it. And often, in a lot of the Old Testament, they did not even care to. So if that's a problem for them, this is a huge problem for us. For those of us who, if I'm understanding the room pretty well, we're Gentiles. If you are able to trace your family history back to Abraham, we're gonna talk after this, because that sounds really interesting. 
This is a huge problem for us. If God's people who he gave the law to couldn't keep the law, what hope is there for us? Part of that promise to Abraham was that God was going to bless not only Abraham's offspring, but the entire world was going to be blessed through them. Later in scripture, we see that God intended to, to make for himself a family of, of all nations, of all people, not just the Israelites. And so how in the world are, are we supposed to be saved? And how can we be fully convinced of that truth? How can we be fully convinced that there's even the slightest possibility that we could be saved? This is exactly what Paul is getting at here in these verses. God's family, Abraham's spiritual children, are not defined by their ability or their lack of ability to keep the law. That's good news. Instead, God is forming him for himself a people through, we see this in verse 13, through the righteousness of faith. Again, Abraham believed God, he trusted in God, he had faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Through the law, God had showed, uh, he had shown his, his perfect love and his justice and his holiness and his wrath and anger against sin and evil and wickedness. And with the law, he showed his people that they could never live up because of the sin in their hearts, because of their brokenness, because of their rebellion against God, they could never live up to that perfect standard. So that's what our text is even getting at as it talks about the, the law produces wrath. If we measure ourselves against the law, we realize that we deserve judgment. We can't be perfect. So that's what we see. It's not what you can or cannot do that saves you. It's ultimately about who God is and what God has already done. And how we get in on that is by being fully convinced that God is who he says he is and that he's gonna do what he says he is going to do. And that's where that grace comes in. It's grace. If this was about what we could do, citizens, if this was about how hard we could work or just how much we could just bear through life, grit our teeth and just go for it, then we've earned that reward. But it's not about that because we can't live up to that standard. It's God's grace. One thing that you will recognize um, and that you will feel and you will understand, maybe you understand it right now, whether you are a Christian or not, students, you are always going to struggle with this desire and this impulse to earn love and acceptance, to earn friendship, to earn a community, to earn peace, to earn your self-worth. And just reflecting, Courtney encouraged me as I was just asking for like, what in the world is, like, what do students do? What do they think? What do they eat? How often do you water them? All that kind of stuff. Um, it's been 10 years since I've been in high school. So I don't know, like... No, but she just encouraged me just to kind of like think back to when I was in high school. What a horrifying time. And students, myself, the rest of the leaders, we, just so you know, we get it. There's, there's so much expected of you guys. There's so much expected of you guys. And I think all of you feel that. You are expected to, in your life, and especially in our kind of current, the moment that we're in, in history, 
with social media and all these different things, you are expected to stay up to date with everything your friends are doing and to care and to like it and to share it and to, to learn the dances and keep up with the trends. And you're supposed to do all that for the people you don't even like. You're supposed to get good grades and you're supposed to play a sport. Once you're old enough, you're supposed to get a job, get your license, get eight hours of sleep too. You're like, A lot is expected of you students, but the reality is, is that just plays into this, this natural desire that, that you all have and that every human being has to earn, to strive, to, to work, but not work in the good sense of like contributing to like, I need to do something in order to be loved. I need to do something in order to have friends and family and to be cared for and to be valued if you're not a Christian and you kind of feel like you're on the outside looking in on this whole Christian thing a little bit, that is an important truth, is that there is nothing that you can or cannot do that saves you. It's not about works of the law, whatever law you're trying to follow. Instead, it is faith. It is in faith turning from your sin, turning from your rebellion against God, your rejection of God, and it's turning in faith to God because you trust that he has promised he will save you. You trust that he has, uh, he has promised and he will make good on the fact that he will hear your prayer, that he will answer your prayer. It's trusting and having faith that God offers you forgiveness for your sins and he offers you new life in him. that offers available to anybody who would turn from their sin in faith and turn to Jesus to be saved. It's wonderful news. And for those of you who, who, who do believe, who would, who would call yourselves Christians, the reality is that until sin is fully and finally dealt with, absolutely, completely, totally, you are going to fight and you are going to need to fight against the desire to work and strive and earn not just the, the love and acceptance and friendships of, of, of those around you, but you're going to have that with God. You're going to have to battle against that desire to, to earn your salvation, to earn God's love. You're going to have a bad day and you're going to be like, what do I need? Like, what good thing do I need to do so that God will love me again? What bad thing do I need to avoid so that I can like still go to youth group and hang out with my Christian friends. No. There is no amount of hanging out with your youth group friends. There's no amount of Bible reading. There's no amount of prayer or devotional time. There's no amount of conferences that you can attend that is going to earn your way to God. It's never going to save you. It's only through the righteousness of faith. Only through that righteousness of faith could Abraham receive God's promise to make him a great nation, that promise that he made to him. And only through the righteousness of faith can you be saved and included in God's family. That family that we are, we are children of God. We are the spiritual children of Abraham. We are, when, we, when Christians, like when God saves sinners and makes Christians, he is fulfilling his promise to Abraham to make him a great nation. Yes, he did that physically with kids and grandkids and all of that, but he is doing that spiritually. 
as he is bringing sinners, as he's saving them and bringing them into this family of faith. This family where, again, it's not about what you do or don't do. It's about what your last name is. It's about whose you are. You're God's. It's a family that is formed from the God, our text says it, of the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created everything that you see and everything that you do not see, the God who literally makes living things out of dead things. Let's continue in this passage. Let's pick it up in verse 18. In hope, he, that is Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Second thing we see is that like Abraham, you trust God by faith. Paul focuses here in this part of Romans on not just the promise, but specifically Abraham's response to God's promise. And specifically that promise to, to make him a great nation. Our text tells us there, and it's part of that story back in Genesis. Abraham was so old, students. He was so old. Like, you're thinking old, and you're thinking like maybe your folks, like your parents. It's like, no, no, really old. Like, like your grandparents' parents. He was so old. He was, a, he was a hun- nearly 100 years old. And his wife, Sarah, she was 90 years old. Not exactly spring chickens, these two. And that, that oh man, I got off on a whole rabbit trail, citizens, thinking about uh, Paul getting to heaven and Abraham being there and Paul being like, oh, I shouldn't have said it. Like, and Abraham's like, as good as dead, really? Like, I was doing just fine, you know? And so, but yeah, he was. He was as good as dead. And the uh, one thing super interesting in the passage here is that Paul, with some of the words, like the specific words that he's choosing, is he's bringing out this idea. He has just talked about how Abraham had faith in the God who brings life from death. And now he's talking about how Abraham, when he looked on his own as good as deadness, and when he looked on the deadness of, of his wife, her inability to bring children into the world... He trusted the God who brings life where there was death. Looking at the evidence in front of him, Abraham could only logically conclude that he and Sarah were going to remain childless, that they were both going to die very soon. And he should have come to terms with the fact that God couldn't possibly do what he had promised to Abraham. But what was Abraham's response? Verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver. Verse 20, again, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham believed God. He had faith that God was going to deliver on his promise, a massive promise. And it was that faith 
that's what was counted to him as righteousness. That's what God looked on and approved of. Again, it wasn't anything he did. It was the fact that he believed God. He believed who God was and he believed what God had promised him. And God delivered. If you go back to Genesis, God delivered the whole nation of Israel, countless upon countless children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren came because God brought life where there was deadness. Citizens, do you believe that God will make good on his promises? Do you believe that God will do what he says? This is what faith does, not for us, but to us. It's before we, we have doubts, and it's normal to wrestle with doubts as a Christian, but as God strengthens our faith, we find ourselves, it's, it's miraculous, citizens. We find ourselves in the face of all of the evidence in front of us, we find ourselves believing that God is exactly who he says he is and that he's gonna deliver on all of the things that he has promised to us. And friends, if you read your Bibles, it's a book of promises. It's stories and letters and poems and prayers and all of that, yes, but it's all promises. It's God revealing who he is to his people and then telling his people what he's gonna do. So you can trust when God says that he will, if you, if you call on him in prayer, if you believe, if you have faith, that he will awaken you spiritually, he'll do it. He'll forgive your sins if you have faith and ask him all the things that you're struggling with and the, the temptations that you're experiencing and the, the pressure that you feel just trying to live life, just trying to get to summer break, which I know feels so far off, all of those things, God invites us to go to him. And the fact that we would go to him in prayer, that's an evidence of our faith right there. Verse 20 says that Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. The reality is that faith is not something that you either have it or you don't. Instead, faith is this thing that by grace, God gives it to us. He gives us the capacity to be fully convinced of who he is, fully convinced that he's gonna deliver on his promises. And then over the course of our lives, he strengthens us. Faith is like a muscle that as we work it out, it gets stronger and stronger. It gets more able to do what it is meant to do. God always delivers on his promises. He always proves himself true. And so citizens, soak up the promises of God. Read your Bibles. Pray, because that is an act of faith. Pray, because you're not just talking out into the universe. You're not just talking at a wall. You're talking to the living God the God who created absolutely everything, the God who brings life from death. As you struggle with sin, 
Repent of your sin. Turn from it. Turn your back on sin and turn and face God. He will forgive you. Surround yourself with a community of friends and fellow students and leaders who are going to remind you of who God is. If you have the ability and you have the free time to go home and just start reading the Bible and just not put it down, read it a few dozen times so you have that bad boy memorized, by all means, do it. Seriously, do it. But the reality, friends, is that this is a process. And so when we surround ourselves with a community that's going to remind us of, of who God is, who, the, who God the Father is, who Jesus is, who God the Holy Spirit is, how they work together, one God in three persons, to, to build us up in the faith, to build us up in community, God is going to use that and grow our faith. And we can trust that because he says he will do it. Now, we're, we're spending our time reading this book that the, the most recent chapters, you could say the most recent updates, 2,000 years old. And the further we go back, the further we go towards the, the start of this book, it's just older and older and older. And we're talking about a character in this story that God has written. We're talking about Abraham who was one of the first characters on the scene. And so if you are sitting there and you're wondering, what in the world does this have to do with me? Paul is right there with you. Check out verse 23. He says, but the words it was counted, sorry, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Like Abraham, your faith is counted as righteousness. Like Abraham, your faith is counted as righteousness. Here's the key, citizens. It's because of the work of Jesus. It is because of the work of Jesus. And that is what Paul is building up to here in this passage. Your faith in Jesus is counted as righteousness. Jesus, the one who God has physically, as a human being, revealed himself through. Jesus Christ, God the Son in the flesh who came to this earth. He was perfect. He never sinned. He, unlike every other human being to live, did follow the law perfectly. He did measure up to God's perfect standard. Absolutely. He stood totally righteous before God. And yet, he was, as it says in verse 25, he was delivered up for our trespasses. God came to this earth and he died in our place after living an absolutely blameless, absolutely perfect life. He died in our place. He died because of our sin. He submitted to death because we had disobeyed God. He took that punishment that each and every one of us, no matter how little we sin or how much we sin, Jesus took that punishment on himself. 
And then he was raised for our justification. He was crucified and buried on a Friday. And citizens, if you can believe it, if you can be fully convinced of it, on Sunday morning, he wasn't there. The angel said to the women who came to the tomb, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Death itself, having been crushed because of all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of the little mistakes that we make and all of the huge mistakes that we make and will make, even death could not hold Jesus in the grave. He was raised for our justification. He rose to gloriously tell all of creation, all that he had made, that he was the king of heaven and earth. How do we get in on this good news? It's with faith. It's with faith. We turn our back on sin, as we've already talked about, and we turn to Jesus our hope for new life, our hope for forgiveness, our hope for salvation, our hope for all of the promises of God. And it's with faith we are fully convinced that he is ready, willing, and able to do exactly what he said he would do, to deliver on every promise that he has made. So citizens, when you find yourself feeling unloved and unwanted, Know that Jesus loved you to the point that he was willing to suffer and die for you. When you're feeling broken by your own sin, when you're embarrassed, when you're feeling dirty and you feel like you don't deserve anything or anyone, you can have faith that Jesus will forgive you. You can have faith that as you're forgiven, when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus. And he loves you. He cherishes you. When you're feeling hurt by the sin of others or just the rudeness of others, just the brokenness of those people around you, you can, we can trust that our God is good and that he is just and that he has promised to deal with sin. So we don't need to play judge, jury, and executioner on the little issues or the big issues because our God has got that taken care of. When you're feeling absolutely full of yourself, my dad used to, uh, he always, whenever he talks about college, he always says that he was a big man on campus. Um, if you're the big man on campus, Know that Jesus Christ is the only one worth glorifying. He's the only one in all of creation, the only human being to ever exist who is worthy of our worship, who's worthy of our praise, who's worthy of us submitting to him and obeying him because we trust that he is good. It's because he is God himself. When you're struggling and wrestling with doubts, you can, you can trust in faith that going to God's word, that going to God in prayer, that going to the community around you, you will be met with the truth that God is real and he is good and he loves you. When you're feeling worn down and tired and you're just in a season of however short or however long it is, when you're in that season of just struggling and every day is just brutal, 
Jesus promises you rest. When you're distracted, you guys ever get distracted? Probably not. Very attentive. Nothing to distract us. When you're distracted by school, when it's just consuming your life, when you're distracted by sports and hobbies, when you're distracted by your boyfriend or your girlfriend, go to God in prayer. Remember that every good gift that he gives us is from God, but go to God in prayer and say, God, I want you to be the center of my life, not these other things, not these passing things. And even in that, God is strengthening your faith because what are you doing? You're praying. When you feel like you are way too sinful, way too far gone, way too unlovable, remember that Jesus is just that powerful. And his word shows us that no one, no one is too messed up. No one is out of reach of God. You cannot be saved by your works. You can trust God by faith. And like Abraham, your faith will be counted to you as righteousness. Your faith in Jesus will be counted to you as righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for even just a passage like this, which feels so far off from where we are. It feels so removed from where we find ourselves today, this evening. God, your word is true. And you have written it to, to teach us and to encourage us, to convict us of our sin and call us back to you. You've written your word to make massive promises that only you could possibly deliver on. So God, we pray for faith. We pray that by your grace, you would give us the faith to be fully convinced that you can and will do everything that you have promised. And God, would you grow our faith and strengthen our faith. You are absolutely, totally, completely worthy of our worship. And you've promised to transform us and you've promised to shape us and mold us into worshipers of you. You give us new life. You give us a community. And God, best of all, you give us yourself. So help us to respond to this. Help us to live and think and act as if this is really true because we know it is. Thank you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.